the stone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thank you, Eileen, for that. My former church, as was mentioned in the introduction, was Century United Church, right downtown. Many of you know that. Um, it's among the oldest of buildings in our city. It predates the formation of Calgary as a city. It is made of magnificent sandstone, if you've seen the facade. Very impressive. But for many years, some, much of that sandstone was covered over by this yellow brick uh, enclosure along the roadway to uh, help keep the elements off the stairs. I understood the function. But it never suited the architecture or the sandstone uh, which the building was constructed. It hid much of it in those darkened enclosures. And so we uh, launched the Capital Stewardship Program in uh, 1992. And what we wanted to do is take those enclosures off and restore the integrity of the architecture with new sandstone on the facade. Uh, we found a new seam of sandstone was found just about the time we were doing this, right out near West Hills where my house was built and much of the sandstone is still there. And that same sandstone was used for this construction work at Central United Church. It was something to watch. Uh, it was stockpiled on site down there. Massive chunks, huge pieces of raw rock. I used to go out there occasionally. I loved to watch a stonemason named George. Now, he was old world. He was European. So all the stone had to be hewn by hand, which it was. Huge massive blocks and I watched him I was fascinated by what he did and how he would search through the pile of material there meticulously as if he could see in each rough and unrefined piece the potential in there what it could become and where it would best fit to perfection now not every piece of stone down there was usable <laughs> and the stuff that wasn't usable he would look it over and then he'd toss it in the corner. <laughs> and there it would sit for a long time, neglected. One day I said to George, George, could you do something for me? And he said, yeah, what would you like me to do? And I said, could you, uh, could you take one of those stones over in the pile of discards? Could you carve for me a little cornerstone or capstone? And he said, I guess I could, but why would you want that? And I said, well, it's, a, it's an object lesson of faith for me. And he said, well, what's the lesson? And I said, well, for me, it typifies who God is and how God works, you see. The, the stuff you don't want to look at, you throw it away as worthless. That's the very stuff God looks at in us. Those are the people, the discards, the rejected ones that God has an eye for and sees what potential is in there. So I've had this stone for all those years. It sits in my garden. I see it every day. And it reminds me of this truth that's alluded to 
in the reading from Acts that Eileen read a few minutes ago. Uh, that the stone that the masons rejected has become the chief cornerstone. How odd of God, isn't it? How odd of God. God takes those things, those people, that we would overlook, that we would neglect, that we would avoid as cast-offs and chooses them for special, essential, and prominent positions in the building of God's kingdom. How odd of God. Of course, we know this because Jesus was the ultimate reject, the ultimate one. but became the chief cornerstone in God's redemptive work. Now, the story, which isn't in chapter 4, it's in chapter 3, precedes this one. That's why they ended up where they ended up, in court. Because uh, they were passing by the temple, and they saw a lame man sitting there. Each day he would sit by the temple gate, and he would beg for money. And when Peter and, when Peter and John passed by, he, of course he asked them for some change. And they said this, they said, oh, we don't have any change. Oh, but what we do have, <laughs> we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And it says he did. Not only did he walk, it said he leapt to his feet, praising God, praising God. And Peter is ever the evangelist and recognizes a situation where he could preach, does so. And uh, he gives the sermon. And reminds them of who Jesus was and what they did to him. And in spite of that, what God has done through him and for us. Um, the people, the leaders feared that the presence of these disruptors was a danger to them and their authority. That's why they hauled them in and asked them what they were all about. To them, Jesus was not a cornerstone. <laughs> he was a stumbling stone. A stumbling stone an obstruction, a threat, an obstacle to be removed, as were his followers. Peter says, Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Far from a reject, far from intrusive, far from an irritant, he is the foundation that holds everything together. Now the slide on the screen is Central's cornerstone, laid in 1904 by Mrs. Senator Lougheed. Her uncle, Lawrence Strathcona was supposed to lay it, but he was delayed on business in London, and so he asked if she would do that. Inside or behind, it, it, we have a time capsule. In 2005, for our 100th anniversary of the building, um, we had the Lougheeds come, Peter and uh, his brother, Don, their families, and we had a great celebration. And they opened up, we opened up, the stone was taken out, we opened up the time capsule, and the Lougheeds brothers were able to see what had been placed there a century before. It was quite a moment. And then we put a new time capsule together and placed it back and then returned the sandstone, cornerstone, to its rightful place. It was quite an opportunity. Um, now, Cornerstones like that one nowadays are mostly symbolic, mostly commemorative. They're not there for function. Right? Um, but they used to be. They used to be. 
The cornerstone was really the critical piece of the entire building. It was functional. It was immovable. It brought strength and resilience to all the other stones and the edifice as a whole. Jesus is proof, friends, that the kingdom is built with rejects and cast-offs. Well, look at Peter. Look at Peter. Before this, who was Peter? He had a very shaky beginning, didn't he? Jesus renamed him the rock. Well, not much of a rock at the beginning when he denied him. God chose him anyway. So it is with all of us. This is where God does God's best work. It's good news for us as the church, I think. Besides this account in Acts, Peter wrote two letters we have in the scriptures, his epistles. And in one of those, he picks up this metaphor again of Jesus the cornerstone. Come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And then he goes on further. And now God is choosing you. God is building you as living stones into God's spiritual temple. Isn't that good news? And you think, well, who am I? You know, look at me. I'm a little rough. I'm a little raw. I'm a little frail. I've got cracks. That's all right. You are a living stone in the work of God's building a kingdom of God. Now, that's an oxymoron, a living stone. Have you ever heard that before? Right? I mean, stones are inert. (laughs) Stones aren't organic. And yet here he takes something like... And he mixes it, and something new, a, con, a new phrase, living stones. You know, um, George, the stonemason, knew every stone he looked at, if he looked closely enough, there was a flaw. <laughs> there was something not quite right. And sometimes he chipped it when he was working with it, and he had to find a new one. He knew that. Everyone unique, but everyone flawed. Not one same size or shape. Each one was different. Its exterior looked a little different. Not by accident, but by design. What makes, that's what makes the building noteworthy. It's hewn by a loving God. Each of you, uniquely loved friends, sisters and brothers, treasured, hewn by a loving God. You know, one of our deepest needs is the need for connection. One of our deepest needs. Connection and contribution. Every human being has that as a deep need. Connection. Psychologist Larry Crabb wrote a great book a number of years ago called Connections. And he said the center of a person is the capacity to connect. It's our God-given DNA. Jesus, through Peter's words, Jesus is the one who longs for our connection, connection with him and God. He doesn't want to be a wedge that drives us apart. He doesn't desire for us to stumble over him. He wants to bring us together in intimate community and communion with himself. Help us to discover the place where we fit together in our relationship and service. You say it every day, every week. You're wanted, welcomed, and accepted. You're valued, and you're needed, just as you are. George knew each stone, imperfect and flawed in some way, he was able to work with and find a special place for it. We need it to find our fit in the family of faith. God has a special place for us in his living temple. The kingdom of God is not in spite of, but because of our failings, because of our weaknesses. I used to walk in the back alley, lovely place to walk every day, um, down there. It's the last last undeveloped block downtown. 
That's where our church sat on the corner. It was known as Crack Alley for various reasons. It was not a very appetizing place. But I parked in the alley behind the church. And almost every day, I would see some little soul crawling through dumpsters. As if in all the waste and all the discarded things, there had to be something of a treasure there somewhere that they could use. Absolutely. And I've never forgot that image because I think if Jesus were here, if God was present, God might look like a bag person crawling through those dumpsters where we, society, people themselves have thrown themselves away and God would be looking for that treasure amongst what some would call trash. Not focusing on the garbage in our lives, but seeking the pearls hidden within. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. All of us have felt rejection. All of us have felt forsaken at times, less than, that we haven't measured up to the, in the eyes of others or even to our own standards. Broken, wounded. That was my experience. One year I spoke at a large conference in Los Angeles. There were about 3,000 ministry people there. I was the closing speaker. And just before I mounted the stage, the heel on my dress shoe broke off. As if I thought, oh, there's got to be something in this. <laughs> These are new shoes. <laughs> so I picked, it, I picked it up, I stuck it in my pocket, and I went on. You know, but I mentioned in, the, in my message to the people there, I said, you know, this is what happened, and it's okay, because someone wise once said to me, we, you know, when it comes to serving God and serving others, we all walk with a limp. <laughs> we all walk. It's good to remember that sometimes, isn't it? When we're dealing with one another, that we all walk with a limp. I want to close with a story. Well, I've got, I got two short ones here. This one I love. It's called Out of Order. Out of Order. It's by Andrew Au, a psychologist, former Roman Catholic priest. A story where he describes how he felt when he saw a young mother and her four-year-old son standing at a popcorn machine. I quote, The mother says, You can't get any popcorn, dear, because the machine is out of order. See? There's a sign on it. But he didn't understand. After all, he had the desire. He had the money. And he could see the popcorn in the machine. Yet somehow, somewhere, something was wrong because he couldn't get the popcorn. The boy walked back with his mother and wanted to cry. And Lord, I too felt like weeping. Weeping for people who have become out of order, filled with goodness that people need and want, and yet will never come to enjoy because somehow, somewhere, something has gone wrong inside. Right? Something has gone wrong inside each one of us at certain times. We are out of order somewhere. I was grossly out of order after coming into the chaos of Central United Church in the early 80s. I, all hell broke loose and no one had predicted that. Out of order, I felt that way. I came to believe and understand though, not, it's not in spite of, but because of the chaos and the rejection and the flaws that there was a special work for me to do amongst those broken and suffering people. Hmm. Because of the chaos. Yeah. Special places for us in the kingdom. Same for each. Mother Teresa once said in love service, 
only broken hearts will do. Isn't that beautiful? In love service, only broken hearts will do. I've come to believe that deeply. Maybe you have too and can see that. And another wise mentor of mine once said, preach to broken hearts and you'll always be up to date. Every day I looked in the congregation, my people, and I said, there's brokenness there somewhere. God, oh God, please touch them there. Touch them there. Right. Wow. Our mission, our mission finally, is not to be stumbling stones for those beyond the church, but connecting others with the cornerstone. That's our job. I think people are drawn to the person of Jesus. I found that over the decades of ministry. When you present Jesus, they're drawn to him. The trouble is, they think they have to go through us to get to him. Yeah. And sometimes we're not as helpful as we may be and want to be. But our calling is to connect with their brokenness, their woundedness, their sense of lostness. Yeah. Did you hear about the reject prom? A pastor in Minnesota started it years ago. He recognized that the senior proms in high school excluded many young adults. They were elitist affairs for the popular and wealthy. And the losers and less fortunate youth stayed away. So he planned a party for those who didn't have a date and couldn't afford the prom. He called it a reject prom. It was such a great event that they wanted to repeat it the next year. And they did. And it became a local tradition. They got press coverage. Uh, Sponsors gave gifts of all sorts for them. And in time, the popularity of the reject prom exceeded the high school prom, which by comparison (laughs) was boring. (laughs) Rejection was turned into joy. Isn't that a beautiful... I love that. I love that. It's our job as servants of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. We had a guy come to Central. His name was Mark. He suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Mark came every Sunday, faithfully, unwashed, dreadlocks, smelled awful, bad old clothes, sit in the pew, and mumble, 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 all through the service, every week. Nobody could understand him. Nobody wanted near him. They wanted him to go away, reject, you know. Then two of our elderly ladies, both named Anne, <laughs> good friends. They, one morning, I saw them sitting next to Mark, one on each side. And not far away, close, close to him, just present with him. That wasn't much interaction. He mumbled, mumbled, mumbled. Over time, something happened, though. They would share a word here or there with him, listen to him, without being driven away. One Sunday he showed up. He was hair was cut. He was clean. He was wearing a suit. And we could understand him. And, and then he started to visit with more and more people. Um, it was amazing transformation. Two elderly ladies, just by their presence, were praying and communicating God's love and concern for this man. His social worker called me. He said, what did you do to Mark? I said, I don't know. What do you think we did? He says, well, we we can't explain the change. I said, well, we just, we brought him in 
We treated them like we treated everyone. We loved them. And God loved them. And that's the transformation that occurred from someone the world would cross the street to avoid at all costs. That's what God can do through us. Yeah. The stone the builders throw is now the cornerstone, friends. May we be as diligent in seeking out those who feel rejected in our society, in our world, as God was in seeking us out and helping us to find that organic connection with the living cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and with each other. Amen. Amen. This next hymn we're going to sing really reminds us about what we just learned about the Catholic